you have to recognize that you don't actually have to change the world to change the world. And I know that's a weird concept, but like if I go to the gas station and someone says, how are you doing today? And I say, oh, I never have bad days. And their response is, wow, I wish I could never have bad days. And I have a five minute conversation with them that changes their life. I change the world for that person. And I don't have to impact a million people to change the world because that person's world, if they give up bad days that day and they never have another bad day again for the rest of their life, how many people do they impact the rest of their life? And even if it's only a few, those people impact a few. And over time, it changes the world, even if you don't see it. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now. Here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Jeffrey Holst today. You are going to learn about how you can change your perception, about how you can have no bad days, and what that can mean for not only your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your wealth, but also your lifestyle, your adventure, your level of joy, your level of curiosity, and the life that you're creating, because, you know, one of the things that I love about Jeffrey, and you're going to find this out today is that, Hey, this is our last life ever. And what we can do with this is optimize it and we can live the best version of our life. And we can do that with real estate. And we can also make these two millimeter shifts that can change everything for our life and not only have no bad days, but step into greater senses of abundance within our real estate business, within our families, within our relationships, within our travel. I mean, this is an absolutely phenomenal conversation. I wanna encourage you to buckle up. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. We're going to raise the bar as high as we have before. And by the way, Jeffrey is bringing so much energy, so much passion, so much vigor, so much authenticity to this conversation today. And this is going to be an opportunity for you to receive a tremendous gift that then I'm going to invite you to pay it forward and pass that along to someone else and give that gift to someone else. So I want to invite you to pay the fee. The fee is to share this episode with one person. If you've already done that in the past, we thank you so much. That's the fee for listening today is to pay it forward and share this episode with one other person and let them know what is it that you love about this podcast? What is it about this episode that has transformed the way that you think? Because I guarantee it will. So I'm going to encourage you to listen closely. I also want to encourage you and ask you to give us a rating review and follow or subscribe to Elevate Podcasts on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. And if you're on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, leave a comment, let us know what you're loving about this podcast, or hey, maybe some comments, maybe some takeaways, maybe some distinctions, maybe things that weren't said in today's podcast, maybe some things and thought provoking comments or parts of this conversation that made you think about something else that you feel like should be a part of this conversation. We want to hear from you and we want to thank you. We appreciate you listening. If it's your first time listening to Elevate Podcast, welcome. We are going to pour into your cup in a huge way today. And by the way, there's a lot of real estate tactics and strategies 
and wisdom in this podcast as well. So buckle up because you're going to receive tremendous gifts. With all that said, I want to introduce you to our guest today, who is Jeffrey Holst. He is a recovering attorney who hasn't had a bad day in more than a quarter of a century. Jeff is often referred to as the most interesting man in the world. I think you're going to see that today. Jeff pays for his love of adventure and travel through real estate investing. He has climbed the highest point in Africa, swam with wild dolphins in the Red Sea, dodged sharks while diving at night in Australia, hiked among the seals and penguins in Antarctica. Jeff has been featured on hundreds of podcasts. By the way, I think today is definitely in the top five, at least of the hundreds of podcasts that he's been on and also been on many radio shows where he has shared his inspiring story of staying positive and overcoming adversity and achieving success despite multiple life-threatening illnesses and financial ruin. You're going to hear all about that story in it's all the gory details today, and I think more than he's ever shared. Jeff graduated early with honors from Michigan State College of Law. He also holds an MBA. When they're not exploring the world, Jeff and his chihuahua, Trixie, split time between their homes in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and San Juan, Puerto Rico. Without further ado, please enjoy this inspiring, this unbelievable story with Jeffrey Holst. Jeffrey Holst, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm doing great. And, you know, and uh, it's been fun. I was telling you before we started recording that it's been a lot of fun getting familiar with you and your story. And, you know, as I'm asking you, how are you doing? Of course, I know you're doing well because you haven't had a bad day in 25 plus years, man. So talk about that. I'm, I think I just hit a depreciation schedule, actually. I think I'm at 27 and a half. <laughs> so that's something. And that was a real softball. When you asked me how I was doing, I should have said, you know, I never have bad days. That's that's how it started. Man, when I was like 17 years old, I, I was teenage angst or whatever. You know, I was just not happy. I broke up with my girlfriend. My parents were going through a divorce. I'm not minimizing this stuff. It was traumatic at the time. But when I look at it now, it's kind of like, man, I've been through way worse stuff than that. So I don't know how that ruined my day. But I just was not in a great mood. And I remember I walked into this bathroom. And I don't normally tell this, but I'm feeling feisty today. So you're going to get the good version of the story. So I walked into the bathroom with a, a Ginzu knife. Do you know those like infomercial? It was like it cuts through anything. Like you can slice a tomato and it can cut through a saw through a copper pipe, you know, and still slice yeah. a tomato. You were one of the suckers who ended up buying the thing. I see. Yeah. Well, I didn't buy it. I was 17. It must've been my parents or whatever, but I probably talked him into it or something. Cause I probably thought it was really cool. I was really geeky about infomercials. Ginzu knives, Ron Popeil, you know, didn't matter like any of those. Uh, of course, the audience is like not as old as me, doesn't know what I'm talking about. But infomercials were like 30 minute long commercials that they had on television in the middle of the night to fill dead air before we had cable and stuff. Anyway, so I had this Ginzu knife. I don't know what I thought, but I guess I thought I was going to, um, you know, commit suicide or something. When I put this knife blade on my wrist, uh, it had a serrated blade. And I was like, man, that kind of hurts. You know, like it doesn't feel great. And then I was like, this is really, really, uh, well, I probably cussed a little, but I was like, this is really dumb, right? I was staring in the mirror and I threw the, the knife into the sink and I said, I live in America and I'm 17 and healthy and I live in a, you know, suburban middle-class family. Like whatever's going on, this isn't the right solution. I need to figure it out. And, you know, I don't know if I was really suicidal or not. And I, I don't want to minimize that because suicide's a horrible thing and people need to get help if they're feeling that way. But I woke up at that moment and looking in the mirror and said, you know what, today, I'm just going to try to make it a good day. I'm just going to say out loud 10 times, today's a good day. And that's what I did. I just looked in the mirror. I said, today's a good day. Today's a good day over and over again. And I did that like 
50 to 100 times a day for a month. Like, I just was like, I'm just going to keep saying today's a good day. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if I believe it. I'm just going to say it out loud when I'm by myself. I'd get in my car, turn the ignition, car would start, and I'd go, hi, car started. Today's a good day. And, and you know what? If the car hadn't started, I would have been like, thank goodness mechanics exist. You know, like I, I was just like, I'm just going to reframe everything into today's a good day and just try to lean into that gratitude. And this is pre like Tony Robbins stuff. Like this is in the mid nineties. So, you know, we didn't have YouTube. I mean, Google hadn't even been invented yet. So I didn't know what affirmations were, but that's all it is. It's just a simple affirmation, speaking something into existence. And uh, I walked into a 7-Eleven about just two months later or something. And the guy behind the counter said, how are you doing today? And I said, I never have bad days. And then I went, holy crap, I never have bad days. Wow. I just realized at that point that I hadn't had a bad day in quite a while. And uh, I, I haven't had one since. So I don't have an exact date. I'd like to be like, oh, it was April 25th, 1994. But but it was around there. <laughs> so, you know. I love the depreciation schedule notion as well. 27 and a half years. I mean, you're starting to get to that 39 year, you know, so you got to start investing in retail and office and all that kind of stuff as well now. Yeah, well, I was really happy when I was able to say a quarter century, you know, like, hey, I'm a quarter century. That was when I really geeked out. So now I have to wait for like a half a century. So I got a little while left. But you know, one of my life goals is to live to the energy death of the universe because I love being alive so much. I mean, I don't think I'm going to make it, but I'm going to give it a try, right? Yeah. So if I do that, you know, I'll get my century and my millennia, hopefully, you know. And you're talking about this reframing, you know, it almost makes me think of like everybody, not everybody, but most of us know somebody who's maybe close to a pathological type of liar. And you think about those type of people and they tell lies over and over and over to a point where they believe their own lies. And I'm not saying that you're lying to yourself that today's a good day, you know, but perhaps it felt like, well, how is it a good day? And you almost over time convince yourself that it was and you started to look for reasons to support that notion. Does that feel like what happened? Yeah, I mean, in a way it is, right? So I mean, so there's a couple of thoughts I have on this. One is good and bad stuff happens to everyone every day. And I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like, I mean, there's going to be something good that happens to you today and something bad that happens to you today. It's just a matter of degree. And then the second part is somewhere in the world right now, someone's having the best day of their life. Somewhere else in the world, someone's having the worst day of their life. So the day is neither a good or bad. If you look at it objectively, it's just how that individual is perceiving it that matters. So however I perceive the day for me is how my day is. Like, you know, I get hit by a truck and become paralyzed and lose four limbs. And, you know, I, I whatever, I, you know, all this terrible stuff happens. If I'm like, man, it's so great. I didn't die. Then that day is good for me because I'm like, wow, it could have been so much worse. Now that's a pretty extreme example, but that is kind of how it works. It's like when bad stuff happens, if you perceive it as like terrible and ruining your day, it's going to be true. I mean, Henry Ford would say like, you know, whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. I used to think that was weird, but it's also true. And like, whether you think it's a good day or you think it's a bad day. That's all that matters. And then there's another concept that's sort of related. Are you familiar with like the, you know, the magicians, like they have the crazy hats and they're like abracadabra and they pull a rabbit out of the hat. Yep. I love that example because abracadabra is actually ancient Aramaic. It comes from two words, abra and kadabra. And what it means is as I speak, I am. This is like a biblical principle, like in the, the first opening of the, the gospel of John too, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was God, right? So I think like when you really dive into this stuff, it's all the same concept. We create our own existence because we create how we perceive the world. So what we say 
becomes true. And this is not to say that you can like magically heal yourself and stuff. Like I'm not saying that like, you know, that it's a magic trick literally, but it really is how we perceive the world that matters. And if we think it's good, it is good. If we think it's bad, it's bad. And you know, everyone, I mean, I think everyone listening knows at least one person that's always upset about something. It's the same concept, right? If you're, if you're going around looking for things to be upset at, you're going to find things to be upset at. Believe me, it's super easy. You know, one of the things I did early on is when I was fighting with this is I just stopped paying attention to negative things. I was just like, you know, I'll deal with them. You have to be careful with that concept because Hal Elrod says, the Miracle Morning author, he has this quote that I love. He says, the moment that you accept full responsibility for everything in your life is the moment you can change anything in your life. And I think you have to keep that in mind. Like you don't want to completely ignore the bad, right? You have to accept responsibility for it. But if you do that and you focus on the positive, you, you kind of win. And, you know, ultimately it goes back to this thought process of, hey, perception is reality and it can't be your reality. The other thing too, that it makes me think of, and it's a mantra that has totally shifted everything for me is that, you know, and again, you mentioned Tony Robbins just a bit ago, life happens for me, not to me. So no matter what happens, you can look at it and say, well, where is the gift in this challenge that feels like something bad in the moment? And you can notice this feeling or this emotion of, oh, this is a negative experience. But you then can shift it and say, well, wait a minute. If everything happens for me, not to me, where is the gift in this challenge? And so where is the good in this? And you can almost look at it and, you know, to a certain degree, gamify it and say, well, if I feel like it's bad right now, that's interesting. How interesting. Get curious about it and then say, well, wait a minute, this could pay off in all of these different ways and just keep going and see how it does pay off for you. You know, does that make sense, Jeff? It does. In fact, about two years ago, I got diagnosed with melanoma, right? And I was like, I've already had a, another cancer before that. And like, I, I don't like cancer, but I, I also know that like, you know, a lot of people beat one cancer, but when you start getting multiple cancers, it's kind of terrifying. And I was like, oh man, this doesn't sound good at all, right? And I was upset, obviously. Like the first thought in my mind was like, oh, this is not good. And my next thought, literally the next thought was, this is gonna make a great story on a podcast someday. And that's essentially what we're talking about, right? If you look at this whatever traumatic negative experience you're having and just go, okay, what what's good about this? then you get there. And that's really what I was doing there. And, and like, I've done it so long that it's instinctive. That's why it happened immediately. I didn't have to go, I mean, like, what, what positive thing can I find? But I interviewed a guy on one, of, I have a couple of podcasts, and one of them is called Last Life Ever. And I interviewed this guy, Michael Pearson, whose son died in a battle in Afghanistan. And I interviewed him on Memorial Day. And I remember talking to him and it, and it stuck with me forever because I said, you know, how do you deal with this kind of trauma? You know, like, because obviously it's got to be terribly difficult to deal with losing a child. And he was like, it was hard, but I just decided early on that I had to find three positive things that came from my son's death. And I was like, wow, that's like next level me because like, I'm always like, I need one positive thing, right? And I need to talk about melanoma on a podcast, but you know, he's like, I need three. And he thought of two pretty quickly, but he couldn't think of a third one. And so he created it for himself and he started a charity um, to help disabled veterans. And I just thought like, man, that's like that kind of mental fortitude to deal with whatever trauma that you have and then try to find some positive outlets for it. It makes the world a better place. It makes me a better person. And just being around people like that changes the world. That is amazing. And, you know, it makes me think of, you know, most of us, we have challenges and adversity and tribulations in our life. I mean, pretty much all of us, right? We all have pretty challenging circumstances. And when you shift your mindset to say, well, what are the three positive things that can come from a tragedy in our life and start to shift it to, well, wait a minute, maybe this story can 
help serve someone else and you can allow this to be a contribution factor because you know there's so many people who may not be aware of this type of mindset but if you can utilize these type of experiences to give to someone else that can be a total game changer for so many more people and then you can look back and hopefully you know spend eternity with you know this individual that you may have lost prematurely on earth you know not to get too meta on this conversation but you know then you could have impacted millions of people perhaps Yeah. Well, and you know, people, I think a lot of people feel this like loss at not being able to change the world. Like not everyone feels this, but a lot of high performing people, a lot of people that I hang out with, they have this like inner drive to like make the world a better place. And I I love hanging out with people like that. And sometimes you get to a certain age, like, and this is, I think where midlife crisis has come in for high performing real estate folks is you get about 40 years old and you're like, yeah, I've been successful, but like I haven't changed the world. And I think that like to really adjust to that and like really accept it, you have to recognize that you don't actually have to change the world to change the world. And I know that's a weird concept, but like if I go to the gas station and someone says, how are you doing today? And I say, oh, I never have bad days. And their response is, wow, I wish I could never have bad days. And I have a five minute conversation with them that changes their life. I change the world for that person. And I don't have to impact a million people to change the world because that person's world, if they give up bad days that day and they never have another bad day again for the rest of their life, how many people do they impact the rest of their life? And even if it's only a few, those people impact a few. And over time, it changes the world, even if you don't see it. Right. And and when you impact one person, I mean, when you look at, well, how are they going to then pay it forward, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, who knows, you may be impacting more people than you realize, even if you are having a one to one conversation with, you know, for five minutes. Yeah. And also, even if it doesn't impact anyone else, so say they just go home and they give up bad days and now they're a happier person and, and, you know, they're a homebody and they never meet anyone again the rest of their life, but they're just happy. It's still, it still made their life better. It made their world better. So it made the world better. Like, you know, it's degrees, right? And like, yeah, sure. I'd love to reach out and, you know, share my message to billion people or something. And that would be amazing. But I don't have to, right? Like if I talk to you and and we're on the show and a couple of people in the audience listen and go, yeah, that's, that's I'm going to try this. And let's say it doesn't even work. Like they give up bad days for a month and they go back to their old life. Well, they still had a better month because of it, right? Like, by the way, don't quit at a month. I promise it takes about two months and then, then it's just subconscious and you're done. Yeah, that's that that is so good. And it it also makes me think of this concept called the second mountain. You know, you were talking about the quarter or the midlife crisis sort of thought process. And, you know, really to get past that valley of despair, it's about shifting from, hey, what's in it for me to what's in it for everyone else? And how can I make a contribution? And that's how you continue to grow. And I think we're all designed to grow. We're all designed to continue to contribute and in some ways to go big and continue to challenge ourselves to say, well, how can I live a life of no bad days? But how can I give more to other people and whatever my unique talents are or gifts. But man, I wanted to talk more about sort of your backstory because it's pretty remarkable. It's quite amazing. Thinking about some overwhelming challenges, some, you know, life-threatening illnesses. You know, you mentioned one from a couple of years ago, but talk to me about your backstory just a bit further and, and help the listeners understand sort of what you experienced, what, about 15 years ago or so? Yeah, around there. So I'll step back a little bit further. So after the, the you know, giving up bad days thing, it made my life significantly better. But like, there's also this like 
you know, you still don't know what you want to do with your life kind of thing going on, right? Like you're a teenager, um, you go to college and you're like, I'm going to, like, I went to college for three years to a community college in a two-year program. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just kept showing up and I got done with that. And I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I went on this like, like journey around, you know, Europe and like, tried to like figure out what I wanted to do. And I finally just kind of went like, I don't know, like my dad's a lawyer. Like, I guess I'll just be a lawyer. So I went to law school. I graduated with honors. So, I mean, it was fine. And I, started this small law firm where I did bankruptcy work. I mean, I actually did. I started out doing general law. So I did business law and and divorce and criminal. But but I quickly realized that I didn't like dealing with criminals and I didn't want to fight over children. And I didn't have enough business work to keep myself open. So I ended up in this bankruptcy realm in 2007, 2008. And of course, bankruptcy started to explode. And all of a sudden, I was just making way more money than I'd ever made in my life. Right. And I mean, everything seemed to be going really good. And I was able to travel and I went down to Peru in August of 2008. And uh, I, I went into the rainforest and I went to see like the Nazca lines, which if you don't know what they are, you should Google them and check them out because they're the craziest thing I've ever seen. But then I ultimately I went to Machu Picchu. It was like a bucket list item for me. I don't actually have a bucket list anymore. I, I gave them up and I think you'll understand why in about four seconds. But but I had listed like a few things that I wanted to see. And this was really the last thing that I wanted to see. So I'm 30 years old and I'm like, my law firm is exploding. I actually had a television commercial. You know, I was like the better call Saul of West Michigan or something, you know, like it was going really great. And we're making all this money and I'm, I'm sitting there at the top of Machu Picchu, which is this ancient Incan city in the mountains in South America and Peru. And I'm looking down on it and I'm like, man, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Like, what am I going to do? Right. That was like my early midlife crisis, you know, the like, like, you know, and it's ironic that you bring that second mountain thing, because really I'm sitting on the top of a mountain, looking down into a valley thinking, what am I going to do? with the rest of my life. And I, uh, I I just had this general feeling of uncertainty, right? Anyway, flash forward a week or so, we get back to uh, Michigan. I had like a respiratory virus of some kind. So I go to the ER and they give me antibiotics. A couple of days go by, I'm not getting any better. I go back to like a med center or something. And they're like, well, maybe you pick something up in like the Amazon. Cause we had been like, fishing for piranha or something in the Amazon and, and hiking and stuff like that. And so they they were like, we're going to do some more tests. And they, the first thing they did is blood work, right? They're looking for, you know, whatever. And uh, and, and they sent me home with, it said, just keep taking your antibiotics. You'll probably be fine. And about 10 o'clock at night, and this is a Saturday night, I'll never forget this because this is like super traumatic stuff, but I'm watching Heroes. You remember the TV show Heroes? Yep. So I'm watching Heroes, not that great of a show in retrospect. It ended poorly, but I liked it at the time. And so I'm watching Heroes. The phone rings. It's actually my wife's phone. And it's it's the doctor's office. And they had gotten uh, her number because it was my emergency contact. My cell phone was dead. And the doctor's says to me, like, there's no easy way to tell you this, but you have leukemia and you have to go to the hospital right now. It's just like, like opening sentence for the call. Hey, is this Jeff? Yep. You have leukemia. You need to go to the hospital. Talk about ripping the bandaid off. Yeah, My right? And I was like, okay. And he says, you need to repeat what I said. And I said, I have to go to the hospital right now. I didn't want to say I have leukemia, right? I'm like, I have to go to the hospital right now. Words have power. I didn't want to say it. And I knew at that moment 
that as soon as I admitted what was going on, it was going to change everything that was going on in my life. And I wasn't quite ready. So he says, okay, what hospital are you going to? I tell him, he says, I'm going to call ahead because my white blood cell count was really high. I mean, it was really bad. They Like 250,000, supposed to be like 4,000, you know, I mean, it was like not great. And um, so I hang up the phone and my wife says, you know, what's wrong or whatever. And I said, let's just watch the rest of the show. There's like five minutes left in the show. And she's like, no, you have to tell me what's wrong. And I'm like, okay. So I tell her, and she gets upset like you do in those situations. And, you know, flash forward a little while, like call her dad. Her dad comes to help drive because she's in no condition to drive. We go down to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, I started calling like every single person that I know. I swear. Like this is, by the way, pro tip on this. If you ever get diagnosed with a life-changing disease and you don't know exactly what's going on, don't call like your cousins and tell them before you hear anything. I'm like, hey, mom. I have leukemia. I don't know anything else. I'm on the way to the hospital. Hang on. Hey, dad, I have, you know, just one. I mean, I had like 20 of these calls on the way to the hospital. And, and I get to the ER in a little triage room. And all these people I called start showing up. And you're not supposed to have like piles of guests like in the ER. But everyone thought I only called them. And, you know, so my mom's there. My dad's there. My sister's there. My brother's there. Like a couple of my friends are showing up. Like, pretty soon there's like 10 people in this little curtained off triage room. And I remember that I'll never forget this. And the reason I tell the story this way is because I think it's really important. My brother says to me, he says, Jeff, I bet today's a bad day. Like after 13 years of not having bad days, he's like, it's okay, man. Like you can have a bad day. And I've, I've gone through trauma recently where people have said that to me, They'll like my really good friends, like off the record, they'll be like, you know, I know you're the no bad days guy, but it's okay if you're having a bad day today. And then I go, huh, I'm not explaining this right. <laughs> this is not how it works. Like you don't have bad days. Like, you know, it's like, I really don't have bad days, but like, but people have a hard time believing that, right? Because it's, it's difficult. So my brother, says, you know, I bet today's a bad day. And I was just like, no, actually, I got diagnosed at 10 o'clock at night. Like most of the day was pretty good. You know, and that's that's what my default position was. And then the next day was, it was a little bit harder because, you know, now I'm in the hospital all day and I'm like, I'm actually struggling a little bit. And I think if this had ha- if I've been diagnosed two months after I gave up bad days, it probably would have been a bad day because this is like a, a muscle kind of thing, right? Like the more you use the neural pathways, the easier it becomes, right? So you just keep doing it over and over again. There's actually hard science behind this. There's a book, forget the guy's name, but it's called uh, Hardwiring Happiness. It's, it's all about the the neuroscience behind uh, if you just spend time focusing on positive, you just naturally become more positive. Tony Robbins calls it the reticular activating system. It's like the idea is if you buy a Honda Civic, all of a sudden you see Honda Civics everywhere. It's not like they weren't there already. It's just your subconscious mind defaults to what it's used to. And um, so it's all the same concept. But anyway, the next day I'm in the hospital and I'm like, sent my wife home to get some rest. And I'm in the hospital room by myself. It's like two in the afternoon. And I'm like, playing that game we were talking about earlier. How do I make this into a good thing? (laughs) And I'm thinking about it. And this nurse walks in, shift change. She looks at me and she says, oh my God, Jeff, I'm so sorry to see you here. And I go, oh my God, Shelly, I'm so happy to be here. I think she thought I was completely insane. But the reality was she was a childhood babysitter of mine. I hadn't seen her in like 10 years. And I was just so happy to see her. And like, you might go like, on one hand, you see your childhood babysitter. On the other hand, you're dying of leukemia. Like, One's more significant than the other. But again, perception is reality. And at that moment, it felt good to me to see Shelly. And I should probably tell her this sometime. Like, it occurs to me now. She doesn't know this? I haven't seen her in more than a decade again. Like, this is not like a good friend of mine. Like, it's not like somebody I see all the time, but I'm going to have to track her down. But anyway, so the point is, though, like, retrospectively, that actually was probably the best day of my life because I was a happy having good days, but not completely fulfilled attorney. 
And that's the day I decided I didn't want to practice law anymore. That's the day, frankly, that drove me into personal bankruptcy as a as a bankruptcy attorney, which made it easier to quit practicing law because that was another like, I don't want to practice law anymore kind of moments. But if I hadn't gone through that experience, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. I wouldn't be able to have done all the amazing things I've, that I've done. You know, I took um, for the last several years, I've taken more than a month off every year to travel. Like I went to Africa twice last year. I basically live in Puerto Rico now. I go back and forth. I fly like one week in Chattanooga, one week in Puerto Rico, you know, back and forth all the time. I have an amazing place on the beach there with this just gigantic view, friends there. You know, right now my mom's there. So I even have family there. Uh, she's visiting me. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm just, I live this amazing life. I was able to quit working. I had a corporate job after I got out of law. I went and worked for a, a trucking company. Um, I, I was able to quit that before I was 40, 37 years old. I was able to just retire. And I was like, I'm not going to do anything the rest of my life. And then, you know, like, as you know, I'm sure you've talked to other people that have got, I've got financial freedom through real estate. Now I can quit working. And then they're like, now what do I do? I went through that period. And it took me about, I don't know, one week of rereading Rich Dad, Poor Dad by a pool in Florida to realize that I needed to have a purpose again. And then I realized this amazing purpose that I get to live now, which is to share this story about how really how mindset is the only thing that matters. Man, well, this is exactly why you're here. And what an unbelievable story, first of all. And I'm so glad that you survived that experience, obviously, and lived to tell the story. Obviously, I'm sure you are as well. But I, I do want to dissect a bit of that experience because obviously you made a big decision that day to totally change the direction of your life, the trajectory of your life, and craft a life that you wanted instead of living this life that was uh, borderline not really fulfilling. You know, you're making good money, all this kind of stuff. But you know, crafting this life through a complete change in your mindset and then deciding to build a real estate business, of course, on top of that. So what was the complete shift? I mean, because you had already been engaging in this muscle building in your brain for 13 years of no bad days. What was the shift from there other than that choice? So obviously, having a positive perspective makes it easier to deal with things. So when we talked about that Halal Rod quote earlier about accepting responsibility, it certainly wasn't my fault that I had leukemia, but it was my responsibility to deal with it. And I mean, I didn't know who Halal Rod was 15 years ago, but but I did have that concept in mind. And because I had a positive mental attitude, because I was able to sit in the hospital room instead of going, oh, I'm going to die. Like, this is terrible. And like, that's what most people do when they get a life-threatening diagnosis. In fact, at the time, I believed I wasn't going to live till Christmas. This was in September. I remember my dad said to me, if you live till February, I'll take you to Australia. And I was like, I'm just hoping to make it till Christmas. Like, I thought I was dying for, for several days. And then they were able to identify the exact type of leukemia I had. And there was a, a relatively new treatment protocol that they didn't know would work, but it did work, you know? And But but the point was, I was able to stay positive in that moment and start thinking about what am I going to do with the next however long I have? And frankly, facing your death puts a fire in your belly, right? It's like, we're all mortal. We're all terminal. Like we're all going to die. But most people don't realize it at 30. Right. Most people figure this out way later than that. And so it's really a big blessing for me. So when I got out of the hospital and when I started to recover and realized I might not die, and I thought I have five or six years, maybe and that's what we were talking originally is like this treatment will probably extend your life, but it might not, it's not going to cure you. And it's just an oral chemotherapy. And I take it every day to this day. Right. So 15 years, oral chemotherapy, a daily reminder of my own mortality. Right. Like, and if I want to die, all I have to do is not take that. Right. Like, and it doesn't happen in one day, obviously, but 
but like, you know, theoretically, if I stop taking it, then the disease will come back. Um, and, and now it's fully controlled. But at the end of the day, that recognition of mortality meant that I needed to think about how do I craft a life that's going to, well, one, I, I was highly motivated to figure out how my wife would be taken care of if I died. So I was like, I need to figure out a way to have income coming in, even if I can't work. Because, you know, what happened with the, I alluded to the fact that I got forced into bankruptcy. It wasn't medical bills. Everyone goes, oh, it must have been the medical bills. I had okay insurance. What caused me to go into bankruptcy was I had a $5,000 a week, you know, not at the law office. And all of a sudden I went from two attorneys. I had one quit a week before. I got diagnosed. And then I went from two attorneys to zero attorneys overnight. And now I'm paying $5,000 a week out and I'm off work for months. Right. And I'm actually paying other attorneys to cover stuff so I don't lose my law license. So it was actually even worse than that. And I just piled up this huge amount of debt. Right. And then the economy just tanked. Right. Cause this is 2009, 2010. So like, People didn't even have money to pay for bankruptcies. <laughs> I mean, it was just got crazy, right? I remember one of my bankruptcy clients, I told him it was going to be like $1,500 to file bankruptcy. And he was like, where am I at $1,500? I'm like, ah, I don't know. But you know, bankruptcy, people have to pay up front. It's not like you can take a payment plan. So he went out on the street corner with like a sign that says, I need $1,500 to pay for my bankruptcy attorney. I mean, that's how crazy it was in 2009. Like, And he had been a factory worker for GM. The GM plant in my neighborhood, like near my law office, closed down. GM filed bankruptcy. Like the local economy was decimated. Housing prices fell 50% in a year. I mean, it was insanity. In the midst of all of this, I had piled up this huge amount of debt. I had all these advertising contracts. And, and then my phone's ringing constantly because I'm still advertising because it's already paid for. It was like nonsense. It was so crazy. But like the thing is, I went through all that. And as soon as I got clear of it, I thought I need to figure out a way to have money coming in because I might not be around that long. And my wife needs to be taken care of. And, and the only thing I knew of was those old school infomercials I talked at at the beginning of the show was I had watched uh, Carlton Sheets, No Money Down. You know, this guy had this TV commercial and he'd be sitting out by a pool in Florida talking about how he's a millionaire and he never put any money into real estate. And I went, well, I have no money. I have no credit. Real estate seems like the perfect solution in the middle of a giant real estate crash. And retrospectively, I mean, obviously the timing was amazing. I started buying real estate in 2010. That was a smart move. It was a bold move though, with no money and no credit in the middle of a real estate crash to start buying real estate. But I was like, got to do something, take responsibility for the situation I'm in. And if I can buy this property and we had to pay cash, like we didn't have any options. So I got a job, I got a sign-on bonus, a partner of mine, a friend from law school, and I bought a condo for $30,000 cash, rented it out for $650 a month. We still own it. It's worth like 150 now, you know, like the first deal I ever bought, probably never sell that thing. We bought another one in the same building a little later. And then we just kept doing that. We never took money out. I got a job. I lived on my income, reinvested the real estate money, reinvested my bonuses. And I just was like, I need to build this portfolio now. Highly motivated to do it. And, you know, it took six years, seven years. I was able to quit my job and I haven't really, I've lived this amazing life because of it. That is so cool. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing to myself. I'm like, man, I wonder if he was thinking, hey, this will make a good podcast story at one point in time. You know, your client's trying to beg for $1,500 and all this crazy stuff going on. <laughs> it's like, this will be a good podcast story. Actually, I've never told that story before, ever. I just suddenly remembered it. And I, at the time, and the guy came back, by the way, to like wrap that story up. He came back two days 
days later with $1,500 and paid me in ones and fives. Apparently it's a lucrative career. I actually thought at the time I was like, why is this guy filing bankruptcy? Just stay out there a couple more months. He'd be good. I know. I always wonder how much money are these people actually making who are, you know, begging for money on the street. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. Man, talk to me about that shift. I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, getting started as a real estate investor, great timing with everything in 2010. And then, you know, over the course of a few years, you amassed a single family rental portfolio, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, how many years later did you start to kind of dabble in some other uh, types of asset classes? I believe multifamily, if, if I'm not mistaken as well. Yeah. So we had all single families in a couple of duplexes until 2017. In 2017, the company I was working for was getting sold to a publicly traded company. And I already didn't like having a job. Like I'm really resistant to like, you know, that kind of work. And uh, so they gave me a six month severance. And I thought, well, I'm going to take this. I have these about 50 units of single family at that point. I was like, I'm going to take the time off and I'm going to see if I can just take my severance and do a flip or something and generate some money. And maybe I can just like do real estate to pay my bills, right? Like, and never taken any money out of real estate. We'd always reinvested it for the whole time. We ever So my partner and I just kept buying stuff. We'd get money saved up. If we sold something, we'd 1031. It didn't matter. Like we just never took any money out. So I couldn't really live on the cash flow because we had this system set up where we never had any cash flow. Um, and you know, I didn't want to tell my partner, hey, we have to start taking cash flow because I liked building that support. That was like my safety net, right? So I thought I'll just take the money I do have and I'll just I'll try to make it work. And uh so I did this flip and I made a little bit of money. It was actually a burr, you know. So it was a duplex. He bought it cheap, fixed it up, was able to pull out more than we had put in. And I thought, this is a lot of work. And I'd read uh, like Brian Murray's book, like Crushing It in Apartments, like recently. And that year, when I first stopped working, I was listening to a ton of podcasts and I was exposed to all these ideas. And I thought, I need to figure out how to do multifamily. So I took that money that I had and I partnered with my dad, actually. And we bought a 12 unit apartment building, never having done anything like that before. But I was like, you know, I can make this work. It's 12 units. It's in my wheelhouse. I should be able to figure it out. And uh, honestly, best decision I ever made. We bought it in October. October of 2017, November of 2017, they uh, retroactively changed the tax code. So we got a bunch of bonus depreciation we weren't planning on. So we ended up getting this huge tax write-off. So I didn't even have to pay taxes on my severance. Like my, so it's like this like crazy situation where all of a sudden I had even more money than I thought, you know, because I'd set money aside to pay the taxes and everything. And I'm just, it just worked out so well. That was a 12 unit building. Rents were $550, $600. I got the rents up over two years 
shares to $1,200 a unit, refinanced, pulled all of our money out, bought another building. Eventually, last year, two years ago, a year and a half ago now, in the middle of COVID, sold the thing for a million to 1031 into a 30,000 square foot shopping center. I mean, like, it's just been so great. And then I just kept doing that. So once I got into multifamily and saw the power of forced appreciation, I was like, I gotta do more of this. So October, we bought this 12 unit. November, we bought a 19 unit. The next spring, we bought a 32 unit and we just kept going from there. Man, that is so awesome. And I want to stay on real estate just for a bit and, and kind of transition back to some some of your philosophies, because I think they're very instructive towards living, you know, a life of, of joy and adventure and freedom and all these beautiful things. But man, there's so much to learn from your story. And thinking about real estate, I mean, obviously your path has been pretty remarkable and amazing and also exciting. But when I think about that sort of trajectory. I'd love to hear from you now. I mean, like, what are you seeing in this part of the cycle? I mean, what sort of opportunities are you seeing as an investor today? Yeah, so it's tricky, right? So like, so the cycle's so long that there aren't very many people that have gone full cycle. So I like to hang out with people that have been investing for like 40 years, right? Like, like that's the people I'm trying to learn from now because realistically, I started at the bottom of the cycle and it feels like we're at the top of a cycle now or maybe even past the top of the cycle. And, you know, I haven't been through the whole thing and, and my timing was good, but it was also luck. Like if I had gotten leukemia three years earlier and tried the exact same strategy, it would have turned out differently, right? Come on, man. Why couldn't you have gotten it earlier? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But there are some instructive points the things that I think about. And one is like, if your stuff cash flows and you have long-term debt in place, um, so you don't have to refinance or uh, sell in a recession, then it does actually matter, right? So like if you have an adequate cash reserve, long-term debt and in cash flow, then your assets probably pretty safe. And we see that like when I was a bankruptcy attorney and filing bankruptcy for people, the people that were real estate folks that got destroyed, they were flippers. They were home builders. They were people that bought in 2006 on an arm. You know, they weren't people that had had real estate for 30 years. They weren't people that had been buying real estate. Even people that bought in 2006. I mean, think about this, right? Time and the market is actually really easy. If you bought in 2006 and you sold in 2010, you got crushed. If you bought in 2006, you sell now, you did fine, right? You bought at the top of the last market, sell some other time. So my strategy is buy whenever you buy, sell when it's high. Right. You know, time heals all wounds in real estate. And real estate is so forgiving. Like even if you bought something, let's just simple numbers. You paid $100,000 for a house, cash flows a little bit, breaks even even. Um, you put $20,000 down on it. It goes down to $50,000 tomorrow, which is never, I mean, the market doesn't move that fast, but it does. And let's say 30 years from now, it never went up again and it's still worth $50,000. You could be like, wow, I lost $50,000. I paid a hundred grand for this house. And I, but you didn't, you paid 20 grand for the house, right? Like even in this extreme scenario, because the bank paid the rest of the money and your tenants paid the rest of the money, right? Like you didn't put that money in. If it just broke even for 30 years, you came out ahead. Right. As long as you can stay in the game. And that's if you bought it the worst time in the worst neighborhood and it never recovered. And realistically, like, can you imagine a scenario where 30 years from now, there's $50,000 houses anywhere in the country? No, no. I mean, it's just not happening. Like inflation is going to solve that for you. So like the great part about real estate is it's a levered way to get exposed to inflation. So like people are complaining about inflation now and they're like, inflation's really bad. And it certainly is. Like if you don't have actual assets, inflation destroys you. If you're living on a fixed income or you're, you're living off of your job, inflation kills you. But 
Real estate goes up with inflation. It has. If you look at it, it goes up faster than inflation and then it drops relative to inflation. But if you look at like the 100-year charts, it goes up with inflation. The inputs are the same. So, you know, if you can lever your way into inflation, especially when for the last two years, we've been able to borrow below the rate of inflation, it's impossible to understand how you can't come out ahead over the long run. No question about it. And and again, it's, it's all about staying in the game. And, you know, you can never time the market, but you can understand where you may be in that market cycle and continue to, you know, survive another day if you're in a challenging situation, but think ahead and anticipate. And what is it going to, what type of financing or capital stack would be required for you to be able to weather an economic storm uh, as we continue to go through these cycles? And by the way, they're inevitable. But from your perspective, as you continue to grow, as you continue to design your life, what opportunities are you seeing throughout this market cycle, you know, as you're continuing to grow your portfolio? Yeah, so I think it's, you got to get more to the fundamentals, right? So like, I, I think a lot about risk mitigation and, and right now risk mitigation is that's the thing you need to be doing. You need to be like, how do I protect my downside? So like I alluded to, one is having longer term debt. Like a couple of years ago, we were going, okay, if we have like a three-year balloon, it's not so bad, right? Like, you know, five years ago, I really wasn't afraid of short-term debt because I didn't see anything in the market that looked like it was, you know, it was going to be a problem. But now, or really last year, I started going on podcasts and telling people like, lock up long-term debt. These interest rates are going to go up. We need to protect ourselves. But but also take a historical perspective. Like if you're buying something today, right? And it's 6% interest, 6.5% interest, the 50-year average on interest for mortgages is like 8%. Like we're still like, yes, it's really high compared to the 3% we had six months ago, but it's not so bad. I mean, my first house I paid 7.8% and I refinanced it to 5.9%, 5.99 actually. And I told my wife, we'll never ever see a rate below 6% again. This is a freak show. Clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. So don't take my advice on predicting interest rates. I don't know if they're going up or down, obviously. But what I do know is they're not so bad right now. It does work. And so when I'm looking at the future and opportunities, I'm thinking like, okay, how do I find deals that work now? And how do I make sure that they're going to work into the future? And like, if you do the value add stuff, you know, what we were doing like four years ago, where we're buying something with the intent of fixing it up and refinancing it. A lot of people were doing short-term bridge debt, stuff like that. That stuff's not going to, I mean, if you did that last year, you're in trouble right now. And there's going to be some pain in the market for people because of that. And, you know, I wouldn't be doing that right now either, because we don't know for sure that interest rates are going to go back down. We don't know for sure that interest rates aren't going to keep going up. Until inflation is under control, they're going to keep raising interest rates. It's the only tool they have to do it. And the thing about inflation is inflation is an overheated economy. When you raise interest rates, it slows the economy down and it's designed to create a recession. Like they're gonna keep raising rates until we have a real honest to goodness recession. And the problem is right now, the economy is actually super resilient, more than it's ever been. It was super healthy, super overheated, and we have ridiculously low unemployment, right? So as a result of that, what they're doing is being counteracted by this like continuous growth in the economy. So it's a really difficult spot that the Federal Reserve finds itself in. So like trying to predict what's going to happen in the next 18 months is really difficult. But what we can be certain of is whatever happens, it won't be as good as it was last year. And it won't be as bad as it could be because 
it's not going to be the Great Depression. Like there's nothing, the economy is fundamentally strong right now. And so what we'll probably see is some kind of recession and some kind of recovery, a shorter cycle than the last one, probably because this last cycle was extended by COVID. People thought that COVID was messing with it. But like, if you look at the long time, you know, it was going to create an economic downturn. It didn't because we overstimulated the economy to respond to the fact that we're going to have that kind of downturn. So I don't want to get too far into the weeds because I get really geeky about this stuff. But the reality is what I'm seeing, if, if you're trying to invest right now, do things you know, get hyper local, build really good market knowledge so that you're the best at what you're doing because people make money in all areas of the market in all market cycles. So the trick is just get good at whatever is needed in the market that you're focused on. Um, so if you're really good at duplexes in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, and I'm pretty good at that, I'm not the best, but if you're really good at that, especially if you're really good at buying duplexes on a specific street in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I've done that. You know, I've had like 10 on the same street over the last five years, like the same one that I did that first flip on. Like I, I've just kept buying that neighborhood. I'm like, I know this neighborhood. I'll buy it. Every time something came up, I bought one there. So like, I think doing those kind of strategies to mitigate risk, that's the secret. Just be really focused on what you control the variables that are in your control. Great advice. It's no different than the hell Elrod quote, right? Like take responsibility for the situation you're in. And what you said earlier, like the economy doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. It gives you opportunity. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, none of us can predict the future. In fact, yesterday I was at a, an economic update, you know, luncheon as we all go to these things. And, you know, you listen to the economists and the market forecasters and, you know, even they can't predict, you know, even looking back at charts for hundreds of years. I mean, you can see patterns, you can see rhyming, you can say, well, here's where things may go. But, you know, one of the philosophies that I love and that we love in our, our company is it's thinking in bets. It's thinking in probabilities and saying, you know, what's most likely to happen or what do we feel is more likely to happen than not. And then you've got to go ahead and put your chips on the table and move forward. But I also loved your thought process around just get really good on the things that you can control, your strategy, your market, you know, your relationships, your systems. So actually there's a relationship there. And I think that thinking in bets came from that. Um, what was that girl's name? Annie Duke. Annie Duke, a former Elevate uh, guest. Yeah. Oh, that's a great guest. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. I love Annie Duke. So like her book was great, right? And she's a great guest. So thinking in bets and then combining it with, you know, this risk mitigation strategy that I like to think about is it, they're really super related. Like, I mean, I've never talked to Annie, so I can't say, but I would assume when she's looking at, you know, poker hand, right? She's going, all right, like I'm going to, I'm thinking about probabilities, but you're also like, how do I minimize my downside? How do I create an asymmetrical risk return? Like, yeah. you know, you don't want to like, like the amount of money in the pot matters, right? Like if there's a lot of money in the pot and you only have a small chance of, of winning, you might say, I shouldn't stay in. But that's not always true because sometimes it only takes a little bit more money to, to, to make that bet. Right. And so it depends on where you are in the market cycle for sure. But it also depends on how much real estate do you have? Like how much cash do you have? What's the inflation rate? You have to look at all these different variables and go like, given this, the totality of the circumstance, what's the, the most sensible move for me right now? That is the same thing as taking responsibility for the situation you find yourself in and making the best possible decision given that. No, it isn't going to work out every single time. But it's going to work out more often than not. And that's what you need. Like to be successful over the long term, you only have to be right a couple of times. That is so good. Especially with asymmetrical return. Like Mark Cuban has this thing where he says like in business, you only have to be right once. You can fail a whole bunch of times and then make a billion dollars on one business. That's really what we're talking about here. Like mitigate the downside so you can't lose everything and make those upside bets. 
Yes. And to steal another thought process from another individual who I respect, George Gammon, he says, there are no certainties, there are only probabilities. And thinking about, well, what resources do I have? And, you know, thinking about, well, how does this play into the bigger picture so that you can stay in the game so that you can continue to have no bad days? But man, I want to transition back to some philosophies as well. I mean, you, you mentioned this a bit earlier in the podcast, the last life ever, your, your last life ever podcast, but also just talk a little bit about that philosophy and, you know, how that kind of plays in. I do want to talk about maybe some hacks, some systems, some things that you utilize to really live that life as well. But first, talk about the philosophy. Okay, so the philosophy is, you know, I mean, I don't like to admit it, but I will anyway, because I'm feeling feeling loose today. It's basically YOLO, right? It's like my version of YOLO. You only live once. Like it's it's the last time that you're here. But there is a little bit of a, a mitigating part. So it's not exactly YOLO. YOLO is like a little hedonistic for me. Last Life Ever is about recognizing that like we're put here on, on earth to achieve a certain purpose. And there's only one of you. There's only one Jeff Hulse, right? Like, well, there may be other Jeff Hulse. I even interviewed one on Last Life Ever once, which is, that was really trippy. Are but you serious? Yeah. Quick side note on that. I got an email for this guy and, and it seemed important and it was obviously not intended for me. So I tracked the guy down and I found out that he started this charity because his son, Colin, had died in a swimming pool accident at seven years old. And I thought, this is a great guest for my show because like we like to talk about people that like respond to tragedy by like doing positive things. It's like sort of our purpose, right? And he responded to his son's death by starting a, a nonprofit that teaches water safety and also teaches kids how to swim. Is this the guy that you were talking about earlier who found the third positive aspect of this? Or? Totally different guy. Wow. This guy's name literally is Jeff Hulse. So, you know, try Googling him. It's very complicated because you have to like Google him without Googling me. And, you know, but but anyway, he, he started this charity called Collins Hope. And it was just, it's about helping kids be safe around public swimming pools. You know, and you could have responded differently. He could have been like, I want to sue or like, I want to close down public pools. But instead he made this decision like, I need to make it so no parent has to go through this thing that I'm going through. And I just love that. And anyway, so the last life ever philosophy is actually about that. It's about recognizing that whatever tra tragedy happens to us, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we're called to respond to that in the best possible way and to live the best possible version of our lives. And I would say that if you, Tyler, are feeling like this desire to do whatever this thing is and you don't do it, not only are you cheating yourself out of that opportunity, whether it's climbing a mountain or going skydiving or starting a chair. It doesn't matter. It's all of that stuff. It's like, if you don't do it, those things that you're supposed to do, you're cheating yourself, but you're cheating your family, you're cheating your community, and you're really cheating the world. Because if you don't live the best possible version of your life, no one else can do those things. No one else can make those changes. And so when I was talking earlier about changing, like, if I tell the guy at the gas station how to give up bad days, and it changes that person's world, that's my calling. Like, I have to do what I'm doing now. If I don't come on your show, and tell people about my story. And, and by the way, sometimes it sucks. I don't like telling people that I went into a bathroom with a knife or that I went bankrupt. The first time I told that story from a stage about the bankruptcy, I literally, literally like was terrified. <laughs> you know, like I did not want to do it. But I was like, I don't know anybody in Oklahoma. Like it's good. We'll just go for it, you know? And, but it went so well. And it and uh, people still reach out to me now from that first time I told the story. Every once in a while, someone will be like, I heard you talk in Oklahoma. Oklahoma City in 2017. And it changed my life. And I think, man, 
That's so great because every time I hear that, and it's not always that, but every time someone tells me that, I think I got to do more of this because if I don't, I'm being selfish. And it's giving is better than receiving and your tragedy can be someone else's transformation. So when you give, it's like, well, you also receive to maybe even a larger degree. Yeah. It's made my life much richer and much fuller. And it also inspires me to do things that I wouldn't otherwise do. Like I climbed Kilimanjaro and I guarantee you I would have quit. It was so much harder than I thought. Not in awesome shape. I'm trying to climb this mountain and I'm thinking, this is terrible. No one's going to care if I quit. Only I'm going to care if I quit. And then I went, I told my Facebook group I was going to climb Kilimanjaro. I better do it or they're going to be disappointed in me. You know, so like there's this accountability element to last life ever too, because like right now we're in the middle of a gratitude challenge and every day we have people post 10 things they're grateful for. It's hard to think of 10 things you're grateful for every day, but you know what it does for you? It changes you to a situation where you're like, I have to think of 10 things I'm grateful for today. Jeffrey, this is really a lot of fun. I know one of the hacks um, is obviously real estate and, and being an investor in real estate, but talk to me about some other systems or tips that you might have for people to design a life like what you're talking about. Other than, you know, we've talked a lot about, hey, share share your sort of vulnerability and the challenges that you've had and, and help that resonate with other people and give that gift to other people. But what else would you say in certain terms of systems, hacks, or tips to designing this type of life? Yeah. So it's all mindset related, right? So give up bad days is like a giant way to start. But there are two things I think that are really useful for this. One is figure out how to live fully in integrity with yourself, right? And that's what Last Life Ever is about. It's it's what the no bad days thing is about for me. It's about the sharing my story, all that. For me, it's about being fully in, aligned. So when you think about integrity, I think about this. When you're fully aligned, it's when your thoughts, your words, and your actions are all the same. Right. And we're not never going to always be fully in integrity. Sometimes you're going to be thinking something and say something else. Sometimes you're going to know you should go to the gym, but you're not going to go to the gym. Right. Like, but often as possible, try to center yourself on, you know, my, my thoughts, my words and my actions being the same. And, and one way you do that is that speaking it into existence thing that we talked about earlier. But it's also recognizing that integrity is like a, a mountain with no top, right? Like, you know, when you're climbing a mountain and you think, oh, there's the peak and you get to that point and then you go, oh man, there's, there's another peak ahead of me. And you don't see the next peak until you, until you get to the first one. That's how it is to try to align yourself. You're going to just keep finding false summits forever. And that's good because it gives you something to focus on. And you just like, I need to get working towards that. And when you get to that point, you're like, oh, I need to work towards that. And so if you can do that, that's going to make your life so much better. Um, I thought, I swear I had another one, but that's the one. I think that's a really great tip. I love that. That feeds into everything else. Then your mind can start to find systems and strategies and tools and all these kind of things. I mean, your mindset is really the leading indicator. It's the first domino then can lead to all of these other opportunities. Your reticular activating system can find the opportunities to leverage, you know, the partners that can sort of align with and collaborate with. I mean, so on and so forth. But Jeffrey, man, this has been so, so much fun. Uh, before I, I transition us to the rapid fire section of the podcast, tell the listeners a little bit about No Bad Days book and how they can pre-order it. No Bad Days, right? So the book's called No Bad Days, How to Make Every Day Great. Honestly, I love how the book turned out. It's kind of like memoir self-help. <laughs> so it's like my story, 
a little bit longer version than you heard here, my story, and then life lessons is from different points in my life. And I think it really did turn out really well. The pre-readers have been loving it. I got, you know, it's it's being published by Morgan James. It's coming out in uh, April. So April 25th, I picked that date earlier when I said like, that would be great if that was the day that I gave up bad days, but we'll pretend it is if you want. That'll be my 28th year without, right? But yeah, so it comes out then. It's actually available everywhere for pre-order. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, it doesn't matter. It's available everywhere for pre-order right now. What the people can do is they can pre-order it. I mean, that's awesome. But also like we get closer to April, you can go into your bookstores and request it and get them to put it on the shelves. That would be the biggest thing ever you could do for me if you really want to be supportive. Or libraries too, actually. Um, libraries usually have requisition forms. I know like, like it sounds weird, but like if you go to your local library and fill out a form and say, I'd really like you to get this book, they're going to buy it and it's going to be on their shelf and then you can read it for free and you're helping me out. Who wouldn't want to help you out, Jeffrey. That's super exciting. And I love that 28, it, maybe it was a 28th year anniversary on the uh, launch date of the book, man. We, we will put a link in the show notes for the listeners so that they can learn how to pre-order the book on wherever it is that they love to buy their books. But of course, I love those calls to action. And again, who wouldn't love to support you? Jeffrey, this has been so much fun. I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the Rare Air Questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. It's all about looking at a false summit and saying, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself to continue forward, continue to expand my own limits. So, okay, I'm going to challenge myself to do the best answers ever for your show right now. Here we go. All right. That's a big, tall task. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Arnold Schwarzenegger's Total Recall. It's his autobiography. It's all about mindset. It's an amazing book. He said things like, I will be Mr. Universe when he had no business doing that. He hadn't even lifted a weight yet. And then he became the best Mr. Universe ever. He said, I will be the biggest movie star in America when he didn't speak English. And then he became the biggest first person ever to like make a million dollars for a movie. It's also a real estate book. He made his first million in real estate. So I love that book. I think everyone should read it because it's amazing. The other one that I think would have like, incredible impact in the last couple of years is um, Atomic Habits, James Clear. It's a really good book. But you know, I mean, there's so many I, I read like, you know, two or three books a, a month, uh, sometimes more. So I mean, I could I could list books forever. I love that. We'll put a link in the show notes is where the listeners can find those books. And you're reminding me to get total recall off of my shelf and crack it open because it's been on my list for way too long. The Audible is great, by the way, just listen to the Audible. If you don't have time to read it, just like when you're driving around, listen to the Audible. Love it. So aside from what we've already talked about today, which has been really extensive. What is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? I call it hashtag vacation. The no bad days concept is a perfect thing. Like I can hashtag no bad days and I know what that means. It means a lot more than those three words. Last life ever is another example of that. So like, I think everyone should create identities for themselves around hashtags. In fact, you should have an imaginary character in your life. That's like in mine, I have never admitted this out loud to anyone on camera, but I'll tell you, I call him El Jefe. And El Jefe is like amazing boss character. That's like a blending of like Hemingway and like Arnold Schwarzenegger and like, like all these like different people uh, in Indiana Jones is mixed up in there. And this character is like, when I need to like do something hard, I go like, how would El Jefe do this? That's my El Jefe hashtag. And I think if you can, if you can create those kinds of things in your life, so you can just instantly turn on that particular attitude you need at that time. (laughs) That is good, man. That's, I gotta say so far, you're doing pretty darn good being in the upper echelon. Well, that's because I'm in El Jefe mode. Yeah. Oh, I know. In boss mode right now. Man, I've I've not heard that before though. Hashtag a vacation. That is 
is a very, very unique suggestion. My next book, what can I say? What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? And again, maybe perhaps outside of what we've already talked about today. Outside of it. I mean, so I think the biggest thing you can do for people is listen to what they have to say. If you listen to people, it makes their life better. Yeah. I mean, drop the mic at the end of the day, give somebody an opportunity to share what's on their heart, what's on their soul. And, you know, maybe ask them a question. Hey, what do you mean by that? What does that mean to you? And listening is more than just shutting up. Yeah. Listening is hearing what they're saying, right? Like you have to absorb what they're saying and understand their perspective to fully listen. And there's so many great examples of this in history. But I really believe that like, if we listen to people, we solve problems. If we solve problems, we change the world. Yes. Jeffrey Holst, man, I want to acknowledge you for turning your tragedy into transformation, not only for yourself, but so many other people. And you are living the dream. It is such a pleasure to spend time with you. It's such a pleasure to understand your story. But it's also such a privilege to be able to really be inspired by you and to really see what you're doing with this last life ever. Jeffrey Holst, do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation? You know, here's the thing. I love Elevate as a concept. In fact, last year I picked Elevate as my word of the year. Wow. I'm incredibly honored to be here and I'm excited for the show to come out. And I can't wait to like to meet the people that are going to reach out to me because every time I go on a show like this, somebody reaches out to me. And uh, so do it. Reach out to me, Instagram, whatever. Find me. I'm easy to find if you Google me. Like actually, quick parting thought. This is just like a little uh, pretty awesome kind of quote. I've never told anyone this. Somebody sent me yesterday a video of them doing the like, okay, Google, like Google Home thing, asking who I am. And Google knows who I am now. So like, that's pretty awesome. It said something like, you know, Jeffrey Hulse is a recovering attorney. There goes my Google. Let's see what it says. Okay, Google, who's Jeff Holst? According to Google Books, Jeffrey Holst is a recovering attorney. Okay, Google, stop. Wow, that is awesome. Man, I love it. I love it. Well, Jeffrey, uh, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We'll send the listeners to your website, jeffreyholst.com. Of course, we'll put links also where they can find you on social media. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll also include information about the book, information about Last Life Ever, all that good stuff, man. But again, until next time, my friend, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Okay, if you're not inspired, I just don't know. Maybe you don't have a pulse, but that was an unbelievable conversation with Jeffrey Holst. And I have so many takeaways, but also so many things that we can all be grateful for. You know, when you think about some of those challenges and tribulations and you know, triumphs that that Jeff has gone through himself. And, you know, it reminds us to be grateful for our health. It reminds us to be grateful that we're here today. And, you know, we're, we have an opportunity to learn from someone else. We have an opportunity to be inspired from someone else. But, you know, what is it in your life that, you know, you've been looking at as this problem or, you know, maybe the source of your bad days? And how can you shift that? How can you leverage that? How can you change that? How can you turn that around? But uh, today was a great opener to that pivot and that shift and that transformation in your life and utilizing these strategies towards designing the life of no limits, you know, of your dreams at the end of the day. And it is about completing a transformation of your mindset, of your identity, one that says everything's good. Everything's great. No matter what happens, my perception is what creates the reality. And that is easy to do, right? We always have, you know, one thing that we do have is we have our breath, right? We, we have, you know, this air that comes in and out of our lungs, and that's something that can center us. But we also have a choice to choose our perception. And that was a reminder today, no matter what is happening around you, you can choose how you see it. And 
that can create new opportunities that can create new outcomes that can create increased cash flow, increased wealth, increased abundance. How about adventure, joy, curiosity, fulfillment? You know, so turn your tragedies into triumphs and transformation for other people. That's what today's episode was all about. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show and have a conversation with someone else about what you learned today. What was it about your story that you want to now share with other people, that you want to give that gift to someone else? What was it that you learned from this conversation, whether it was real estate related, lifestyle design related, mindset related, identity related, perception related? What was it that you learned? What were your distinctions from today's episode? I want to encourage you to jot those down. Number one, two, or three, if you want to do all three, make a commitment to taking massive action. At the end of the day, that's where the real power comes in from listening to a story like this from Jeffrey Holst. I'm blown away. I mean, this was a, this is a game-changing conversation and I just really appreciated his energy. I appreciate you showing up. Most importantly, take massive action on what you learn. Elevate Nation, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.